We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of Her Hoop Stats Unplugged. As always, you're here with Megan Gower and happy March Madness. We've made it through Selection Monday. We have brackets and we're just about 48 hours from the tip-off of the NCAA tournament. So super excited to talk about all things March Madness today. And to do that, I am here with Calvin Wetzel and Jen Hatfield from our Her Hoop Stats team. Hey, Calvin. Hey, Jen. How's it going? Hey, going well. Thanks so much for having us back. Yeah, I'm good. I'm excited to be with you guys. It's the it's the best time of the year. It is. It is. It's March Madness. We're, what, 48 hours or so away from uh, games by the time this comes out. So super exciting to have you both on to talk about the tournament. I don't think I've had you both on since we talked about the start of the season way back in November, which equal parts feels like three weeks ago and three years ago so um but yeah excited to have you both on talk about March Madness we've got first round games to pick up on Sunday this weekend uh, Sunday and Monday for first round games and Tuesday Wednesday second round games coming up this week for the NCAA tournament so lots to look forward to there want to kind of tip it off with talking about just this weekend the Sunday Monday games and First round matchups to kind of keep an eye on. I think we've got, obviously, those 8-9 games are typically on everyone's radar, but we've got some other games, too, where there's some lower seeds that could potentially pull off some upsets and will be fun to talk about. Jenna, Calvin, you want to start us off with a a game that you've got on your radar to watch this weekend? Sure. Uh, Well, if if you're looking for a 50-50 game or as close to a 50-50 game as we can get, um, by this time this comes out, I will have a preview out for 538 that uses their model. And the closest odds that they have in any game is the South Florida-Washington State game. Uh, Washington State's the number nine seed, but they actually have a 51% chance to advance. So just based on those odds, I'm really curious to watch that game. And then if you look at the players involved, Charlize Ledger-Walker is a freshman sensation for Washington State. So really any opportunity that I can get to watch her, I really enjoy. Um, so that's a game that sticks out for me. Um, Calvin, I know you are you are fans of some double-digit seeds, though, so I, I am guessing that your games to watch will be more of the uh, split-seed variety. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a few, but uh, we, can, we can start with uh, Stephen F. Austin versus Georgia Tech. This is uh this is my favorite upset. I've been on Stephen F. Austin bandwagon for for a bunch of the year. Um, it's such a fun team. I know I'm going to be repeating myself for any of our listeners who watched our live show earlier today, but 
Um, it's just so, so fun to watch on both sides of the ball. You know, after makes, they, they get up on you and press you 94 feet. Um, then they mix up their defenses when they drop back into the half court. It's just it's a really hard team to prepare. And, and Jen, I know, I know we were talking off air, and you actually said you're going to move them into the Sweet 16. I'm not even sure if I'm going that far, but you got me reconsidering it because, uh, you know, we were talking about this with Gabe and Christy earlier. When you have these short turnarounds on day two or day four of the tournament, uh, or game two or game four, I should say, um, when you have that unique style that's really hard to prepare for, uh, that could be a weapon. And, and Stephen F. Austin ha- is a really tough team to prepare for, I think, if they do get past Georgia Tech um, in that second round versus the West Virginia Lehigh winner. I think it's just going to be a really, really tough scout when you only have 36 hours to prepare for that defense. That's on the same time, on the offensive end, um, very efficient scoring the ball. Um, Stephanie Vischer is, is just a fantastic playmaker in every regard. Um, she can she can get to the rim. She can shoot it. She can distribute it. Um, they they crash the offensive glass, even though they're an undersized team, uh, which is you know they play with a lot of effort. They they it takes a lot of effort to crash the glass and get back on defense the way they do. So I'm I love Georgia Tech. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and by the way, interesting tidbit: Nell Fortner, Georgia Tech's coach, started her coaching career uh, at Stephen F. Austin. So there's a little bit of a personal history there. But uh, I'm still picking Stephen F. Austin for a 12-5 upset. Yeah, Calvin, you actually taught me a lot about Stephen F. Austin just from your your coverage and your uh, you know your your enjoyment of watching them play. And and I think you know as I look more and more at the numbers, it's like cover up the name if you just look at the numbers, like they they blow you off the page really. And like if this were if this were a team with a Power Five conference name next to it, I feel like a lot more people would be advancing them. I was going to say, their numbers kind of like jump off the page. I mean, they're 19th in the net, I think 7th in our hoop stats rating. So a team that, despite not being in that like Power 5 grouping, has really crept up there in those numbers. And then I think defensively, the number that jumps off the page to me is they're number one in the country in steals per game. Yeah, and that goes back to that press, you know. And, and the, like, the thing, I mean, people could knock them for playing in the Southland or whatever. Maybe some of those numbers wouldn't be as green on our – on our page and her hoop stats if they played in a power conference, but same time, I mean, they've just been wrecking people. They've, they uh, have won every game until their last game of the regular season in conference by 20 plus points, a bunch of them by 30 or 40. I mean, to me, that's the equivalent of winning a bunch of games by five in a power conference. So I, I don't think necessarily that they are the seventh best team in the country. I think our ratings maybe are inflating them a little bit, but they're certainly a lot better than a 12 seed and, uh, definitely capable of beating Georgia Tech. Would you say they're closer to the number 12 team in the country than a 12 seed? I would. I would say that. Yeah, I'm counting what, four or five games here that they've won by over 50 points this season. Like, that's insane. I don't care who you're playing. That's impressive. That's UConn level right there. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe we should say Baylor, given they're, like, no, no one talks about how much Baylor has just crushed people in the same way that people talk about how UConn is quote unquote bad for the women's game, which is completely false. But like no one has that narrative about Baylor, even though they have basically done what UConn had been doing. Uh, So anyway, so add Stephen F. Austin to that group. For sure. I think they're definitely one to keep an eye on, at least in that opening round. And I don't, I don't, I'm not putting them in my Sweet 16, but I wouldn't be totally shocked to see that happen. One thing I will say though for Georgia Tech is is Jen, as as the best names writer for hoops for hoop stats every year. Georgia Tech is like a dream team of best names. You have Loyal McQueen, I think, was in your article if I remember correctly. Yes, Loyal McQueen. Uh, Lorella Kubai is a fun name. Uh, Lodomai, I got to make sure I get her name right. Lodomai Lautman is is a fun name to say. Um, I just think, I just think this is like, if you go by names alone, like George Tech's winning the championship, hands down. Plus you've got Nell Fulmer, who was under consideration in my, in my coach's uh, article. So you've really got everything. And then you know, Nell sometimes breaks out the fun shoes and fashion games, so we might even get that. <laughs> we, we're going to have to f- fill out a fashion bracket. I don't know who 
who uh, maybe this is a side tangent who who would win that but it would be i mean joni taylor would go really far coach q I mean, at syracuse would go really far that would be a fun bracket to do sometime south carolina georgia tech in the what is that the sweet 16 would be quite the matchup hundred <laughs> percent what other opening weekend games are on your radar? I think one that's on the radar for me definitely is the the six versus well, actually, really both six versus elevens on the top half of the bracket. But Michigan with versus uh, Florida Gulf Coast University with Kirsten Bell is definitely a player to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. It's it's amazing how different um, a team Florida Gulf Coast looks now that she's eligible she missed i think you know one or two games uh early in the season before the eligibility waivers kicked in for everybody and um they looked a little bit shell-shocked against i think it was missouri state but looking at what they've done this this season you know i've actually picked them to beat to beat michigan they're a whole new team really so um you know congratulations to them for making it into the tournament and i think they've got a a real chance to advance yeah, it's uh, so so Kirsten Bell, your point, uh, Jen missed three games. One of them was against, uh, I think, an NAIA team or a D2 team. They went, uh, they won that one, lost the other two, though, to Arkansas and Missouri State. Since since her waiver got approved, she, they're 24 0 with her in the lineup. Um, she's the front runner for Becky Hammond, mid major player of the year. Uh, TK Morehouse, another transfer for them, has, has been incredibly fun to watch, um, in the backcourt, but. The, the thing that I like most about Florida Gulf Coast is, uh, I, I know I've talked about this a lot in other places already, their, uh, their analytical shooting profile. They don't take any shots between the rim and three-point line, pretty much ever. They've taken seven mid-range jumpers all year. Um, they, it, they're a well-oiled machine on offense, um, but they also do a great job on defense of, of getting stops, getting live ball stops. They, they force turnovers and, uh, they, it really takes effort to force turnovers and without getting out of rebounding position. Um, a lot of teams are good at one or the other, but, but they really do both very well, which helps them get out in transition where they're excellent. And, um, and also Kirsten Bell coming from Ohio State, obviously as a transfer, is going to be playing with a chip playing against Michigan. So I'm picking this game as well as an 11-6 upset. And then the other one you mentioned, Megan, Oregon, uh, South Dakota. That was actually the one that in real time, when I was watching the bracket reveal, I saw that pop up and I said to myself, oh, I want to watch that game. Like, that's just going to be like sneaky fun. Um, I have the upset again, um, South Dakota over Oregon. Um, Oregon's been kind of scuffling as of late, um, losing, I think it's five of their last six, but they are so, so talented and um, either way, you know, whether it's Georgia or Drexel who advances opposite them, like they're in for they're in for a challenge in the second round. Yeah, I agree. And I think I am also picking an upset there. I've got South Dakota coming out with the win there. Obviously, it's a really strong mid-major program in South Dakota. And then, like you said, Oregon's the team that kind of down the stretch hasn't really had it together. They've been struggling a little bit. I mean, they've had a couple of weeks since the Pac-12 tournament to kind of gather themselves. So I expect that they'll be coming back with a punch on uh, – forget if that game is Sunday or Monday, but whichever game it is, the, the day that it is, they'll be coming back. But I think that's going to be a, it's going to be a good one. I expect it to be close and down to the wire. I think I expect Georgia to make that second round game. So, and come out of that, but I think a good first round game between those two teams is definitely on the line. Yeah. I've got it here. That game is Monday at 10 o'clock Eastern. So uh, for those of us on the East, Coach, coast, we're uh, kind of grimacing a little bit. If uh, if like me, you're not quite a night owl, but that's worth staying up for. For sure. Yeah, I think that one's going to be appointment television. I think it's going to be one that goes right down to the wire. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm going to disagree with you guys, actually. Not that it's not appointment television. I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, and I love South Dakota. I'm going to pick Oregon, though. I think Oregon is maybe your quintessential uh, O&O team there, you know, like you said, they lost five of their last six game before that. They barely escaped UC Davis. Who's a good team. They're in the tournament, but uh, barely escaped UC Davis at home. So they're really stumbling into the tournament. Um, they're going to be without Tahina Pow Pow. Most likely I haven't seen for sure, but I saw that she's probably out 
so that's a big blow. Um, but I, th- I think this is a team that's going to be, they're going to be starting. It's a new season. Oh, no. Uh, and they're going to, Kelly Graves has made, so he went on that run as a 10 seed to the Elite Eight with Oregon a few years ago. He, he went on a couple runs with Gonzaga uh, as a 10 seed, 11 seed, a 7 seed. He's made the Sweet 16 four times as a seed worse than this, as a 7 or worse. So, I, I mean, I think coaching is really important, especially when I was, you know, going back to what I was talking about, about those quick turnarounds. Obviously, that doesn't apply in this first game. But if they do get past this first game, um, coaching in, in the tournament, I just think is so important. And, uh, Kelly Graves is one of the best in the business. Um, I still think Sedona Prince and Niar Sabli are just going to be a lot for South Dakota to handle. Um, I, I, I'm actually picking Oregon to win this game and to move on to beat Georgia. You know I've loved Georgia all year, but Oregon's sort of my second round, one of my second round upsets to make the Sweet 16 as a six seed. That's a hot take for sure. <laughs> but also totally fair. You know, I was actually thinking about that Sabrina team her freshman year that made that tournament run when I was – uh, you know, looking over the matchups and I was like, you know, this team's got some youth kind of like that, like lots of talent, like very young could surprise some people. And I was like, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna write that because I don't want people to take that as, as me comparing any of these young players to Sabrina and putting that level of expectations on them. But like, I could, I could see them as, as a dark horse. I just went with the, uh, the darker dark horse, I guess, uh, in South Dakota. Fair, fair. Kind of on that same t- subject, Calvin's kind of throwing Oregon in there as a potential Cinderella. Any other teams you guys see as potential Cinderellas in this tournament? Calvin alluded to it, but I picked Stephen F. Austin to make this Sweet 16 before bowing out to South Carolina. Um, again, I just, you know, those, those analytics are not Cinderella analytics. So um, they they were my pick Um for that, but you know, and then I also had the the two number eleven seeds winning a game apiece in South Dakota and Florida Gulf Coast. So those are kind of my uh, my Cinderellas or, or less chalky picks. I uh, I think who you, well, yeah, we talked about Florida Gulf Coast and, and Stephen F. Austin in the first round. In terms of maybe deeper deeper runs, uh, I think that bottom right bracket, I can't remember which one that is now, Mercado, uh, the Mercado region is is going to be where where this run comes from. I don't know who it's going to be necessarily. I think Iowa State would surprise some people. I think Rutgers or Arizona could surprise some people. Even Indiana maybe surprise some people. I th- but I think this team, this bracket uh, just has basically the strongest, I want to say three through six, three through seven, and maybe the weakest one and two seeds. No disrespect to NC State and Texas A&M, who had fantastic seasons. I just don't think they're quite there with with the Yukons and the Stanfords uh, and the Baylors and the Marylands. And whereas the three through seven are are loaded in this in this bracket, so I think this is going to be the bracket where uh, they really shake some things up. And I think you have a lot of potential. Uh, sort of, I don't know if you call Arizona Cinderella. I'm picking them in the Final Four to get them out of myself. So. Maybe you call them a Cinderella if they make it that far. But uh, three through seven seeds who are going to go further than maybe their seed line would have them. Yeah, that's a good point about that region. So if if we assume that Chalk holds through the first round, the second round game that I probably had the hardest time picking uh, would be Indiana and Gonzaga, which I feel like is like a sneaky good game that, that people may not realize. Like I think the blockbuster four or five game would be the Iowa Kentucky game in the Riverwalk region, because that's Caitlin Clark and Ryan Howard um, with the winner potentially getting Paige Beckers. Like, yes, please. Um, <laughs> but Indiana Gonzaga, like I, I mean, I, I fill out a bracket pretty quickly. So like, you know, grade this on a curve, but I, Relative to my other picks, I agonized over that one before going with Indiana. So that could be like a fun uh, undercard, if you will, to the flashy scoring uh, game in the in the region above. Yeah, do either of you know? Uh, I sh- I maybe should be up to date on this. And Gonzaga, where where they stand in terms of all those players who got sick? It wasn't COVID related uh, in that championship game in, in the conference championship against BYU. They had a bunch of players with a stomach illness or something like that they're very shorthanded barely escaped BYU who's a tournament team but 
Um, they, they, they didn't necessarily play, uh, you know, obviously their best game. And I think that it's going to make a huge difference if they're at full strength or not, based on what we saw from Gonzaga when they're not. Do either of you know where they're at in terms of uh, their personnel? I did not catch an update on that. But if it was stomach flu, I'd assume two weeks later that they should be okay. Yeah, I don't think it was the flu. It was some, like, really long word that the announcer said oh. uh, that I had never heard of. Like, <laughs> the word gastro was part of it. Like gastro something something, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I haven't I haven't heard anything, but uh, for now, but in my bracket, I was assuming that everybody's healthy. So, and fingers crossed that everybody is healthy. But you know, if not, yeah. you know, Belmont could could give them a scare. Certainly, I mean, even at full strength, Belmont could 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 give Gonzaga a scare. But particularly if Gonzaga is missing some some players. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I think. That region in general, like I said, just has a lot of potential for upstates. I would even say if you know, that the one eight or one nine game that could come could be an interesting one with NC State, especially I feel like Washington State is a team that has a potential to give NC State a bit of run for money. We've seen them upset some teams in the Pac twelve this year, and I think we've seen NC State get upset on a couple of occasions. So I wouldn't be surprised to see even Washington State give the one seed to run for their money if they advance there too. So I think that region in general is one to keep an eye on. Yeah, and Washington State's interesting because they don't have that NCAA tournament experience, right? This is their first time in the NCAA tournament uh, in 30, 30 years. Yeah, it's been exactly 30 years, 1991. Um, but they do have the experience that comes with playing in the absolutely loaded Pac-12 this season. So they played Arizona, they played UCLA, they played Stanford, like the they're not going to be phased by NC State because NC State is basically Stanford or, or Arizona or any of these teams that they've played. So they've got this interesting mix of experience and inexperience. Um, but, you know, I, I think that that potential, uh, that potential meeting with NC State would certainly be interesting to watch. Yeah, that's a that's a that's an interesting team, because I think when you're looking at teams who could pull upsets in in March Madness, you have to sort of think about what their ceiling is and not necessarily where sort of their average is. Because if, if Washington State plays their average game and NC State plays their average game, NC State's going to win, no question. But when you have teams uh, who are underdogs who have who are inconsistent, sometimes inconsistency can actually be a good thing uh, for those teams in terms of if you have a really high ceiling and a really low floor, that high ceiling gives you an opportunity to compete with some of those teams at the top, you look at Washington state. I mean, like at their worst, they got swept by USC at their best. They beat Arizona and they beat UCLA. So this is a team that, you know, they, they've had some struggles for stretches, but at the same time, when they're clicking, they can compete with those top teams, that top tier of teams uh, in the PAC 12 and really in the country. So definitely an interesting upset pick who, who's certainly capable of knocking off NC state. Yeah, for sure. I think that's one to keep an eye on. I think another team out of the Pac-12 that I'm keeping an eye on, I think they've got a tough draw because they've got South Carolina in the second round if they make it to the second round, but is Oregon State a team that had a really rough start to the season but kind of hit their stride a little bit going into the Pac-12 tournament? Um, and then you know Stanford really ran, out, ran them out of the park in the Pac-12 tournament, but I think a team that if they're hitting their threes and are on on a certain night is certainly a team to keep an eye on. Yeah, they uh they haven't lost to anyone except Stanford since January twenty fourth, almost two months, uh, ten games. So <laughs> they're definitely one of the hotter teams coming in the tournament. And coincidentally, that date is also the same day that Talia von Olhoffen made her debut. So not coincidentally, I should say, is the opposite of a coincidence. Definitely a big factor in why they've been playing so much better uh, since then. She gives the team, you know, the added weapon on offense. I think it's interesting. I think people talk about seniors a lot of the time. And they're like, oh, seniors are, you know, experience is good. And, you know, some seniors could come back this year, but in a normal year, you know, you might be playing your last game, you're motivated and all that. She's supposed to be a high school senior. I don't know if that counts. She's kind of a senior. <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, though, I think sometimes you're also when you get, uh, you know, kids who are that young, I don't know if she's 17 or 18, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And like, so... And in one sense, it's almost the opposite where, I mean, she's been playing great. She stepped up her game even more in the Pac-12 tournament. I, I don't think she necessarily knows that she's supposed to feel pressure 
<laughs> when the stage gets bigger. At least she has been playing like it. Um, I think, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how this team does as well. They also lead the nation in three point percentage. So I said if their shots are falling, Megan, their shots are usually falling. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think they fell against Stanford, but normally they fall. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was I was just gonna say Von Olhoffen is is really fun to watch. I think actually our our colleague Christy Winter Scott put it best to me a little while ago when I was talking to her about all the early enrollees in the class, and she was telling me how uh, Von Olhoffen apparently did a an interview or a press conference or something after a game, and she was talking about how the team needed to be better on on defense and. And Christy was like, you know, you don't see that out of a should-be high school senior very often. And she just, on the court, she just has this swagger already that, you know, give me the ball and get out of the way, I think is how Christy described it. You know, not in a bad way, but in a, you know, I know what I can do and I know that this team needs me to score. Um, and she's been been the top scorer of the early enrollees. She's really uh, produced at a high level for them. We should point out too. I don't know if uh, this is going to have a super big impact. Although I know, no Jen and I really like her, but Lily Grissett is out for the tournament for South Carolina too, which is a huge bummer. Yes. But um, so you know, if Oregon State gets to that second round and plays South Carolina, that could uh, could swing things just a little bit in terms of you know Oregon State being able to pull off the upset as well. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's it's going to be next to women up for South Carolina and. Uh, you know, any team with an injury or hopefully not, but but potentially a COVID case is going to have to deal with it. But we know South Carolina is and whether it's against Oregon State, even against Mercer farther down the road, like at some point they're going to miss Brissett and have to compensate for that. Yeah, for me, the big thing about South Carolina, which is not really on the topic of Cinderella's or anything, but just to me, it's all about like what game they decide to play, because I feel like sometimes they just seem to like forget that they have Aaliyah Boston in the post, which is basically like a cheat code to beat 90% of the teams in this bracket, but they don't always use her to the extent that maybe they should. And I think if they run through her, I don't think they're going to have much trouble. But I think if we see them kind of default back to where they don't play through the post as much, I think they should could see some trouble in the earlier rounds. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Aaliyah Boston is great, but she does not play point guard. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they keep her out on the perimeter, and it's like, okay, she can hit the three. We've seen her hit the three, but she's better when she's in the post, and the whole team is better when she's in the post, even if she's not scoring inside. Just the way the defense has to move if the, the ball is fed through her inside just makes South Carolina such a better team. I think one other team that's kind of on my radar is Cinderella, if you can call it that as a succeed, but is Texas, because I feel like Charlie Collier has gotten so much attention, but Texas hasn't been that great this season, but she's kind of the type of player that if she steps it up big time in this tournament could lead Texas on a bit of a run. Past your your uh, beloved UCLA Bruins? Yeah, I've I you know I love UCLA, but I'm a little worried about their depth going into this tournament. Fair. Yeah, that's that's definitely a concern. Um I would love to see that Texas UCLA game with Charlie Collier against Michaela Onyenwede. Um I think that would be, you know, it, I'm not sure they would guard each other, um but they could and and that would be a fun matchup to watch and then you know, Vic Schaefer is is always great on defense, which means his teams are always going to be a headache for other teams in the tournament, regardless of how they're seated. Yeah, I was actually listening to, uh, or I think I heard, uh, I forget where I heard this, but uh, recently someone asked Corey Close about that, about Onion Wedding guarding guarding uh, Charlie Collier. And uh, she, she said if that matchup happens, uh, they would, uh, Onion Wedding would spend some time on her, but UCLA switches a lot. So they, you know, they she'd get switched onto her, whether she was, guarding her initially or not at some point, which would be a great matchup to see Onion Wede's, you know, maybe giving up a little bit of size in that matchup, but definitely, definitely brings a lot of toughness and, and is no stranger to guarding people bigger than she is. So I, I am excited for that matchup as well. I'm, I'm just surprised that Megan doesn't have a UConn UCLA championship. Like I just assumed <laughs> that was a done deal. <laughs> I mean, I want to put UCLA into the final four so badly, but I just like, I don't know that I could do it with the, 
the lack of depth they have, I think that becomes so important when you get to these, you know, it's a, it's a lot of games and not that many days and I, I, their short bench really worries me. Yeah, and, and that region really is is a gauntlet. It is, it is. There's a lot of really tough teams in there that they would have to get through in order to make it there as well. I think the way I see them possibly getting to the Final Four is if, you know, someone knocks off South Carolina and someone else knocks off South Carolina in that top half of their their region, and then they just have to get through Texas and Maryland. That's still a lot to get through. Um, So I think think it's going to be a tough road for them. All right. A couple other questions on the bracket for you before we get to Final Four picks. Who do you both think is going to be the first one seed to go down and then the first two seed to go down? Let's see. The first one seed I have to go down is actually South Carolina in the Elite Eight to Maryland. So all the other one seeds are in my Final Four. So kind of chalky, but um, I really like Maryland. I think that South Carolina-Maryland game could be dynamite. Uh, my first two seed to go down is Texas A&M falling to Arizona, uh, the three seed there. So again, pretty chucky. I don't. I, I see all of the two seeds making the Sweet Sixteen, um, but that would be my first uh, two seed to go up. Yeah, I'm. I'm definitely with you on Texas A&M. Uh, I already brought this up, but I'm. I'm leaning towards actually putting Iowa State uh, through in that pod. Uh, which I know is pretty bold. Uh, I do think Texas A&M is going to be the first two seed to go down, though. I think they've been able to sort of get away with not really guarding the three-point line very much this year, and I don't think you can get away with that for six games straight in the tournament because someone's going to get hot. Um, In terms of one seed, I mean, I already brought up that this region I just think is chaos, so I actually think NC State is probably going to be the first one seed to go down as well. Um, I told you off air, I haven't finished filling out my bracket yet. So I don't know for sure. I'm still leaning towards picking NC state into the elite eight. Um, I'm not picking them in the final four. I, I think they could get knocked out earlier than that. Um, but, but I think, yeah, the, in terms of one and two seed, both could go down earliest. My money would be on the Mercado region. So on your, uh, on your scale of, of spicy peppers, where does where does Iowa State over Texas A&M go? Oh, good question. Let me pull that up again real quick. I think that was uh, that was fire. So that was yeah. I had a uh, um, mild, medium, hot, and fire. So that was that was fire. <laughs> you might need to add another, another level of fire called Mercado. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I did have like half of my hot takes are from the Mercado. Not, that's not true. Like a third of them. Uh, my other fire one was Rutgers making the Elite Eight, which is also Mercado. One of my hot ones was Arizona making the Final Four, which I realized cannot happen at the same time as Rutgers making the Elite Eight. <laughs> my, that's sort of my, my cop-out answer is that I think the winner of Rutgers-Arizona is going to go on a deep run. Uh, but, I mean, that, that's Mercado. Anything could happen. It's 2021. <laughs> Anything. That's just true. This Maybe they'll pull, like, a Missouri <laughs> Valley and just someone will get COVID and then they'll reseed the rest of the field for no apparent reason. And then, sorry to knock the Missouri Valley, but um, that was wild. That it was wild. But who knows? Something like that could happen, and maybe Arizona and Rutgers somehow randomly avoid each other and both make the Elite Eight. Who knows? You're right. It's 2021. But seriously, if you told me there was a pepper called Mercado, I would be like, "Yeah, that sounds right." <laughs> Yeah, I'm also pretty boring on this. I have all the one seats except for NC State in my final four currently. So I'd say NC State's that first one seed to go down, though. I, I'm keeping an eye on that South Carolina-Oregon State game for sure. And then uh, first two seed I have going down is Louisville in the Sweet 16 to Georgia. Or actually, well, and Maryland to UCLA there. So I guess I have... <laughs> Two upsets in the same spot. So you do have UCLA going far. Yeah, I have them in the Elite Eight. I just don't have them making it to the Final Four. Okay. That, that Order is, is sorely stored. I have them losing to Maryland a, a round earlier. So you're still on brand, Megan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
I feel like we kind of talked started on this off air, but we have to talk about Maryland before we get to our final four picks because we haven't really talked about them yet, and I think we all have some different opinions on how far they're going to go. Like I said, I have them losing in the Sweet 16 to UCLA. I think you both have them maybe in your Final Four or at least in your Elite Eight. Yeah, they're a Final Four team for me. I think they're going to beat South Carolina and give Stanford a run for their money. Um, Their offense is just incredible. They're leading the nation in a bunch of offensive categories, including offensive rating, They've got six double-figure scorers. They, until recently, had the nation's leader in three-point percentage, and that player, Katie Benson, is still shooting over 50% from behind the arc, uh, which is absurd. Um, like, they, they have so many weapons. And then I know, Calvin, you want to talk about what they, what they just added, so I'll leave that to you. But this is just, this is just a juggernaut. Um, like, if, if you are someone who's like... I really want to get on the Maryland bandwagon, but I'm just not sure yet, but I really want to get on that. Just like go watch that game against Iowa where they scored, what was it, 68 points in the first half? Like, Brennan Freeze out to your offense. I have no questions about their offense. Their offense was fantastic, but their defense just concerns me because, I mean, in that championship game against Iowa for the Big Ten, they scored, I think, over 100 points, but they also gave up over 80 points, which to me, I don't know. I think they could run in some trouble if they start running into SEC teams that play really good defense, and then um, if they can't, they don't defend as well as they have. I think they just – I haven't seen a lot from their defense this season, and that makes me concerned going into the tournament. I think you need both. Calvin, you you want to take that part? I, I do, yeah. So, uh, I mean, yeah, you're right. Their offense is loaded. I think you ask any any coach, any player, any analyst, well, players are going to say their own offense is the best. But you ask anyone who knows what they're talking about is being honest. They're going to say Maryland's the best offense, and it's probably not that close. Uh, they can score from every spot on the floor. And Ashley Owusu is a dynamic playmaker and distributor and makes everyone around her so much better. Um the defensive end, Megan's right. They're not an elite defensive team. Um, they're actually probably the worst defensive team out of the top, I want to say, 16, like the top four seeds or so in each region, maybe, maybe five. Um, two two reasons why I don't care that much about that. Number one is I lean offense wins championships. I, I know we've talked about how I, I would be fine watching a one to nothing game. People hate watching defensive games and I actually love it. But in terms, so, I mean, that's just what I enjoy to watch. I enjoy watching close games, whether it's defensive or offense, but in terms of actually winning, uh, who's going to win, I lean towards a good offense beats a good defense. Uh, but number two, I think Angel Reese has really um, benefited this defense since she came back from injury. Uh, she's been in the lineup for eight games now. She's coming off the bench. She was starting the first four games uh, at the beginning of the season before she got hurt. But but she's playing playing around half the game now off the bench. And she's, uh, I mean, she rebounds really well in the defensive end. She affects shots at the rim. She's not transforming this team into an elite defensive team by any stretch. Uh, but this team has been playing better since she's on the defensive end since she came back. They're ranked 41st right now, I believe, in our defensive rating. I want to say that Iowa game that you referenced when it was like 1,000 to 900 or whatever the score was, I think they were in the, ranked in the 60s at that point, if I remember correctly. So they've been, uh, they've been playing better. Uh, if, you're, if you want to look at the analytics, Angel Reese leads the team in defensive win shares per 40. Uh, she leads the team in defensive rating. Um, all those defensive value stats that don't care that she missed a bunch of time. So I think she makes this defense, she doesn't make it elite, but she makes this defense good enough uh, for, to, to, you know, when they have an offense as elite as it is, good enough to, to slow teams down. They don't have to get stops necessarily when your offense is that good. You don't have to completely shut teams down. You just have to sort of mildly slow them down a little bit. And I think, I think they're at that level with Angel Reese on the floor. Yeah, and I will note that, like, yeah, they gave up a bunch of points to Iowa. However, Iowa's, Iowa averages the second most points per game in the country. So, like, 
you would expect that in a Maryland Iowa game. And I don't think it's a terrible indictment of their defense. Like being 41st in our defensive rating for Maryland is, is certainly good enough. I think at least um, with the offense that they have and the depth that they have and um, coach freeze is actually, she was asked about her 2006 national championship team, um, which was the source of much childhood angst for me uh, being a, a, a Duke fan growing up. Uh, but uh, Coach Freeze said that she thinks that her team this year is better than the 06 team, uh, deeper, a little more firepower. So um, if that doesn't strike fear into uh, anyone in the hemisphere region, well, <laughs> good luck to good luck to everyone. May the odds be ever in your favor. If <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just interested to see what happens with them. I. Like you said, I mean, their offense is so good, though I feel like this might be a hot take or maybe wrong, but I feel like to me, from watching the Big Ten this season, I haven't been overwhelmingly impressed with any of the defense of the Big Ten, so I do wonder if they you know, they run into some of these SEC teams that play really, really good defense, how much that's going to affect their offense. Um, I don't think we've seen them run into a whole bunch of off- or de- really defensive juggernaut-type teams this season, um, so I'm interested to see how they hold up when they reach that, but... I think they're definitely a team to keep an eye on. And I mean, a team that obviously just scores a lot of points. So will be fun to watch. Yeah. And to, to Megan's point, I mean, you know, looking at our defensive ratings, uh, Indiana is the only team in the big 10 um, defensive rating. Well, they're 10th. Uh, I'm still looking for the next team. Rutgers is 19th, obviously, because, you know, they get all sorts of steals and pressure you, but there's not really, when you look at these top five, you're talking about UConn, Baylor, South Carolina, Stanford, uh, all those teams at the top. The Big Ten doesn't have one of those teams. Um, and, I mean, the other thing that, you know, to Megan's point where playing devil's advocate against myself, I think Maryland probably is vulnerable to to maybe an off-shooting night. if uh, Because their defense still isn't at that elite level, like I said, I think, it's, I think it's solid. I think it's fine with Angel Reese. I don't think it's great. But because it's not at that elite level yet, uh, they do need to score a bunch of points to win games which they almost always do. But if they fall into one of those nights where nothing's going down, uh, where, you know, the rims are just unforgiving, uh, they, they could be in trouble because there are some teams who can shoot over 25 from three and still stay in a game. Like when you watch uh, South Carolina versus NC state earlier in the year or South Carolina versus UConn, even uh, South Carolina is one of those teams who can be in a game no matter how they're, how they're shooting. I don't think Maryland is one of those teams. So I think Maryland has to be making their shots. They almost always are, but I think they have to be in order to, to advance in the bracket. Yeah. I mean, I would just raise the point too that if we bring, you bring up the best two defensive teams they faced this year in the big 10 are Indiana and Rutgers. They played those teams both just once, but they won both of those games by just four points. So they were close. So just something to keep an eye on, I think with them. It means it means they're battle tested, right? Yes, <laughs> they're definitely battle tested. I just, I, I don't, I think I'm not as high on them as everyone, everyone else is, which is why I wanted to talk about it. But I think, you know, they're certainly a good team. Uh, but I'm just, I'm interested to see how that holds up as they kind of face some of these other teams. I think a downfall of this year, right, is that we haven't necessarily seen some of these conferences play against each other so much to have those data points. So the first time we'll get some of those data points is, is in the tournament. Otherwise, a lot of it's eye test. Yeah, that's a good point. Like the last two seasons, we got to see Maryland versus South Carolina in the non-conference. You know, just a game like that, I think for Maryland would have been, would have really helped us in terms of evaluating, uh, evaluating them on both sides of the ball. Exactly, exactly. All right, so should we get to the final four picks? Let's do it. So to keep it fun, I dug up our final four picks from back when we recorded the preview podcast at the beginning of the season, (laughs) (laughs) just to keep things interesting. So I think a lot of ways, some of these, I don't think any of them are bad takes. It's just uh, some region things will not allow us to keep the takes. But in terms of what we had at the start of the season, Calvin, you had Oregon, Stanford, UConn, and South Carolina in yours. Jen, you had... South Carolina, UConn, Baylor, some Pac-12 team, you said Oregon, 
Arizona or Stanford or maybe even NC State. Here. So not quite a Final Four, but a whole bunch of teams there. Thank you. And then I had <laughs> and then I had UConn, Baylor, UCLA, and South Carolina. So basically just two regions of the bracket now. But anyway. Um so Calvin, do you want to start us off? Where are you going with your, your final four picks as of now compared to the beginning yeah. of the season? Uh, so I'm going to go with Maryland, which is diverging from my South Carolina pick at the beginning of the season. Um, but, you know, for the reasons we just talked about, I think they're playing better on defense and no one can stop them on offense. Uh, stick it with Stanford. Um, like I said, I am picking Oregon in the Sweet 16, but I'm, I'm not going to go as far as put them in the final four like I did at the beginning of the season. Uh, especially now with Tahina Pow Pow Hurt. So we're going to go with Stanford. Uh, we are going with Arizona as sort of my hot take final four pick out of the Mercado region. Like I said, I think that region is just uh, ripe for some some wackiness. Uh, and then, you know, this other region is the Riverwalk is where I have a really tough time. Earlier on the, our live show, I, I, I picked Baylor. You know, I came into the show thinking I was going to pick UConn. Uh, Christy Winter Scott persuaded me into picking Baylor. I'm sort of still torn. I kind of want to go back to UConn. It's probably one of those that I'm going to overthink. I'm going to pick the right team. And then like at the last second, I'm going to switch it to the wrong team and regret it. Um, but right now at this moment, if you force me to pick a team, I'm still going to go with Baylor. Fair. That one to me is an interesting one because I feel like this might be a weird take, but to me, and I guess it's not that weird of a take because if I look at one, two, three at our hoops, that's writing, that's who it is. But the hottest teams in the country to me are UConn, Stanford, and Baylor, but you've got UConn and Baylor in the same region, so one of them can't make the final four. Jen, how about you? Yeah, I've got UConn coming out of that Riverwalk region. Um, as a side note, like if we had like a consolation game and could like basically pick any teams that lost in the same region to be in it, I feel like Iowa and Tennessee would be a game that I would love to see that probably won't happen because they'd have to, you know, knock out UConn and Baylor to to meet. But I was just looking at that bracket and I was like, wow, I would love to see Caitlin Clark versus Renia Davis, please. Um, maybe in the WNBA one day. Anyway, uh, my final four picks, UConn, like I said, uh, Maryland coming out of the hemisphere, uh, South Carolina fans, please don't kill me. I've been on your bandwagon literally since Leah Boston showed up. So I still love you guys. Um, Stanford out of the Alamo region. And then I have NC state coming out of the Mercado region. Um, you know, drama and chaos, notwithstanding. (laughs) Yeah, also pretty standard in that I've got all ones and twos. I've got UConn coming out. No surprises really there for me. I also have Stanford and then um, Texas A&M coming out of the Mercado region and South Carolina coming out of the Hemisphere. But I think that's the one I'm the least sold on. But still, still have South Carolina emerging there. So no real spicy takes for me on the final four. Your spicy take is no UCLA. Uh, that's, that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which does anyone else keep wanting to say hemisphere instead of hemisphere? Yes. Like what yeah. is the hemisphere? Like I know there are I know they're all landmarks, but I have actually no idea what the hemisphere I think is. I'm, I'm, I'm probably it. way off in this, but I think it's an actual fair. Am I right? You guys know? I'm I'm picturing fair like a Ferris wheel, but I actually have no idea. <laughs> I do know what the Alamo is, though, for, for anyone it, who's wondering. You remember what the Alamo is? <laughs> I remember the Alamo. <laughs> uh, so I just Google it. The Hemisphere is a iconic park housing the Tower of Americas and the Institute of Texan Cultures fountains in a playground. Is there a fair? <laughs> there is no Ferris wheel that I can see. There's a the large tower that looks like one of those things that a like a fair that you would like drop up and down on with your feet dangling. Uh, that I would hate, oh yeah, one of those things where you, actually... you leave your stomach at the top and the rest of you goes to the bottom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that yeah. is I the exact right that I was describing when I said everyone else in that region needs to look out for Maryland. That's, that's <laughs> the point. Well played. Yeah. So. <laughs> 
Um, the park is right next to the Aladome, fun fact. Now I'm looking at San Antonio Geography, which is not really Which is uh, anyway. where the Final Four is, I believe, right? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is where the Final Four is. So that is where it is. All right. Wrapping it up, uh, Calvin, who is your championship game and your national champion? Um. So, yeah, on the right side, I had a little bit easier time because I, uh, I think Arizona's if you want to call it a Cinderella run, it's going to end in the final four. And I think Arizona just gives up too much size to Baylor in that matchup. I'm going with Baylor Uh, on the left side. I'm going with Stanford over Maryland sort of uh, what's it, what's that saying? Unstoppable force meets immovable object. Uh, It's just going to be appointment television. Absolutely. Um, I think Stanford moves on and then Stanford versus Baylor. I have Stanford winning that game completing the storybook season for Tar Vanderveer, who uh, became the all-time wins leader earlier this year. She's going to cap it off with a national title. You faked me out. Calvin, you faked me out for a second when you started talking about Arizona. I was like, wow, wow, is he going to pick Arizona and <laughs> the fighting Aaron McDonald's to advance to the national championship game? Um but I would love to see that Stanford-Baylor game. My bracket doesn't have it. My bracket has Stanford-UConn with Stanford uh, winning a squeaker over UConn. I also have that Stanford-UConn game, but with UConn taking home the trophy. They've never lost in a national championship game, so if they get there, I don't think that's going to start this year. Has UConn ever lost in any game? <laughs> <laughs> They have, they have, just never in the national championship game for the men or the women. Fun Hang on, that's anyway. let me fact check. Hang on. <laughs> oh, yes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if this is true. I don't believe it. Once a century. It's <laughs> definitely bad for basketball. Once a century. <laughs> All right. Any other spicy takes on the bracket that you guys want to drop before we close it out here? Here's my spicy take. I hope very much that this is the last time that we will be covering this virtually and that next year we will have a very spicy live show coming to you from (laughs) some bar in Minneapolis. Yeah. (laughs) Agreed. Agreed. (laughs) Cross your fingers, everyone, and please wear your masks. Yes. (laughs) Wear your masks, get your vaccines. Hopefully next year we will be live in Minneapolis with the Hoops That's Preview show. Home of Paige Beckers. Home yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you both for joining. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Thanks, uh, it's been a treat and can't wait for Sunday. Yeah, yes. thanks for having us. That's uh, This has been a blast. Can't wait to do it in person next year. Well, that's all for today's episode. Thanks for listening. As always, make sure to rate, like, and subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to us. Also, make sure you're checking out the site, herhoopstats.com, for all your NCAA stats needed for your brackets and going into March Madness. Some changes coming soon there as well, so keep an eye out for that. Also, be sure you're subscribed to our newsletter on Substack and to following us on social media at her hoop stats on all platforms for all of our coverage throughout the NCAA tournament. Thanks again for listening.